You're listening to Flipping Tables on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net slash support. It is episode 143 on Flipping Tables. 143, that's the sum of seven consecutive prime numbers. 11, 13, 17, 19, 23, 29, and 31. Hey, everyone, I'm Matt. I, every time you and Mike do that on Bits and Pieces, I'm like, how? How do you do math in your head that fast? And I am David Wikipedia. Lyons. Uh, yeah, that's true. Um, so... Mike uh, is off uh, tending to uh, some personal business, and it's forever going to be his loss because you, my friend, get to be on the other side of me talking about my first yeah. week with the Google Pixel. Oh, yes. Two Android hats together again. I know. It's exciting. <laughs> um, so <laughs> Welcome I, back to the bright side. Oh, God. It's, the, the most frustrating thing is, and this, this really surprised me, I did not in all of my, my time dreaming about going back to android consider that this might happen um i keep putting the pad of my thumb on the chin of the phone looking for the home button and i'm like oh yeah because like that muscle memory gets baked in super fast and i've That's had a true. couple android phones that had physical home buttons so it's not even a 100 percent ios thing so that that bit of shenanigans aside i'm very very happy to be back on android it's super buttery fast everything works the way it's supposed to on a smartphone not like all the crazy and if it doesn't you can change the setting very well and that the perfect example is the god-awful tap sounds on on and ios lets you turn this off as well in their defense but what crazy person decided that every time you press any button it should make a noise like a physical key it's terrible um (laughs) (laughs) it I, I have to admit that when I type on mine, I don't know if you can hear it. Probably nope. not because of noise, <laughs> but I, I never disabled them. I've gotten used to them, no. and I would probably miss them if I gone. Do, do you remember when you played Tony Hawk skateboarding and the vibration in your controller died, and you grind, you were grinding on a rail, and it just didn't didn't vibrate in your hand? It felt weird and wa- wrong, and that's where I've gotten with the vibration on touch and. Uh, a little bit of the typing as well. I, I think my problem with it is I mostly swipe type. So ah, if I alternate okay. between swipe typing and regular typing, it's not like a nice smooth typing noise. Like, you know, the, the rhythm you expect from typing. It's like silence and then click, click, silence, click, silence, 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 click, 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 click. It, it, yeah, it's not. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I did notice uh, as I'm setting up my phone, though, uh, there was a thing I'd never seen before, which was trusted voice unlock, which I would love to say I was a responsible podcast host and I spent the last week thoroughly researching that. But that would be a lie because I was actually at a conference (laughs) all week and I missed everything. I didn't see the Microsoft event. I didn't see the Apple event. Uh, there was some some other thing that I was like trying to make time for that completely went by me, like f- just four days of nonstop conference shenanigans. Um, but the trusted voice unlock thing makes me super nervous because I have never, ever seen anything that I would put a vote of confidence behind and being able to distinguish like, you know, one male voice from another male voice or one female voice from another female voice or like a woman with a high voice from a kid's voice. I don't, I don't, I really don't want someone to be able to walk up to my phone and play, you know, Kermit the Frog talking and then get into my device. Like, that's not, <laughs> that's not cool. Yeah. I also wouldn't do that. I mean, I've, I've read a little bit about how even the fingerprint unlock isn't, isn't perfect. Um, I don't know how imperfect it is because even then you would need somebody, I believe, with at least the same kind of fingerprint. And it's the same with the face unlock. With the face unlock, we know it's like, oh, hold a picture up. There you go. You're in. I would, probably also never do that but trusted voice i also have not activated that yeah no no not not on my phone <laughs> um but uh just another thing you mentioned uh, with your muscle memory on your iphone um i don't know where's the 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 pixel also has um fingerprint sensor right on the back it's like yeah the on the back 6P it, is it the like, 5X, yeah. 
Yeah, so that's something I've gotten used to so much and I will never be able to go to another phone now. Pulling that thing out of my pocket and going like, oh, there we go, it's already unlocked. You don't even think about it. That's, yeah, I, I that's did notice good design. the entire time I used the iPhone, even though the hardware, because I was using the SE and it's considerably smaller, and I still held my phone with my finger perched on the back in case I needed to use <laughs> the fingerprint unlock. So that was like, that was the problem going the opposite way is I just, I held it like I was holding a, a Nexus phone or now a Pixel phone since the Nexus line is dead. Um, but yeah, yeah there, there's there's a couple little things that they've changed in Nougat. So th- this would have bit me regardless of being on iPhone for a while if I went to the Pixel. Uh, the, the app drawer button, like the little grid icon button, yeah. that's gone. It's now just a swipe from the bottom. So okay. the, the gesture, like the, the amount of effort it takes is virtually identical, so it's not a big deal. But <laughs> there have been a couple times where I press the home button and I'm already on the home screen and nothing happens. And I'm like, did I miss it? Oh, right. I have to swipe. So it's it, that like that would have changed when I went to the Pixel no matter what, regardless of the device I was coming from. Um, and then I will say uh, Good Guy Google included a USB-C to USB-C cable like you would expect for the the little wall wart. And also a USB-A to USB-C, because that's what everyone actually needs, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, they given they didn't give me one for my 5X. And so when I went to the US to visit you guys, I didn't have any with me, but I had like my mobile uh, power bank with me. And then when I was there and I was on the go and I was like, oh, maybe I should charge my phone a little bit. Oh, wait, I don't have a USB-C to USB-A. And we went to, I believe it was Best Buy, the mall Probably. near you, where you live. Yeah. It was uh, the Best Buy. They didn't have one. We walked with this guy through the store, like into <laughs> three separate corners. They didn't have, and that was March 2016, 2016, sorry. Um, they didn't have a USB-C to USB-A cable at that time. I had to buy one when I was home again, and by then it was too late. So your phone, how did you make it that whole time? I could charge at home. I had my home charger, but just for my power bank. Oh, so oh, I couldn't yeah. charge on the go. Yeah, it's it's weird because the USB-C to USB-C cable, when I look at it, I'm like, oh, man, the future is coming. But it sure as hell is not <laughs> here, here yet. <laughs> it, no, because I can't. there's nothing I can plug the other end into except for the wall ward. I don't, <laughs> I don't have anything else that benefits from that, that other USB-C we side. Have, in some uh, German convention venues, they have those charging stations for like all of your phones, like all of the Samsungs, all of the, uh, I don't know, iPhones and stuff. I mean, basically, they're all like micro USB, most of them still. And then those new phones come out and it's like, yeah, no, now we can't use that anymore. Um, please uh, update those. But yeah, they don't. At, at my old, understand. Uh, my old office, that. they had one of the, so they redid the building after I left. One of the things they bought was a charging station to go in the lobby exactly for this kind of reason. Like you have folks yeah. sitting there and they were like, oh, it'll just be like a nice little consideration for us to have that thing out there. And I'm pretty sure it's seven. So it's three uh, USB micro, three lightning, and then one USB-C. My old boss <laughs> was insistent. He was like, we have to have a USB-C on there because <laughs> that shows like we're thinking about the future. <laughs> I remember sitting in Denver Airport at the gate and they also had like charging stations with USB and I know you're traveling out so keep an eye out for or have you already seen uh those charging stations updated to USB-C It's probably like, like the regular tw- with a wall outlet tw- 25% of the time Yeah yeah oh, that's good and, I I would have it, said always, they don't have it, any of it Yeah they make like a big fanfare out of it it's like you know oh we we have the, and i think to be fair i think part of what's driving it is actually chromebooks i think the phones are kind of an afterthought ah. but it's like you have people walking around with chromebooks and now you know the macbook adorable i think as cgp gray calls it and uh so there, there's going to be more and more reasons to have usb c which is this is what we want right we just want it, it, just like you have a regular plug in your house that will accept any kind of appliance i want to be able to walk up to that thing and plug in any electronic device i have and get magic juice to recharge my batteries <laughs> so uh the the main thing i want to talk about with the google pixel though is um oh and the rounded icons piss me off so much oh my god the rounded icons you guys have got to get your head out of your asses but that's not the main thing <laughs> The main thing is uh, the the complaints you have heard about Google Assistant are all completely true. 
um, the Google Assistant that you launch from like the home button, the Google Assistant that you get inside of Google Now, and the Google Assistant that you get inside of Google Allo do not appear to know about each other or understand oh. <laughs> anything about each other. So you get slightly different responses and behaviors depending on where you launch it from. It's very odd. So inform me. I'm I'm using a lot of Google Voice command and just Google Now in general on my phone. Like I talk to my phone on my wrist all day long. Um, but I don't really know what is the big thing about the new Google Assistant. So I'm already making use of this. Why? T tell me, tell me the new thing. Why do I want the new one? So the Assistant is the next like evolutionary step for Google Now. So if you already like and use Google Now, this seems like the logical like, oh, I get the more powerful one. The problem mm -hmm. is because they want it baked into the pixel as like a pseudo unique feature of the pixel, or it's at least a timed exclusive. And then they also have it baked into Google Allo. There's kind of this weird, like, well, the Google assistant, when it's baked into the phone has access to parts of you that the one that's inside of Allo doesn't. So there's like this divide between what information it can key off of to make you know, responses to your, your queries and the, even the one that's baked into the, the pixel launcher, one of the weirdest, I don't know if it's a design decision or if it was a bug or they didn't think about it, but it doesn't have context between launches. So like, if I say, you know, hello, magic robot, tell me where I should go get the best slice of pizza. And it's like, here's nearby pizza places. And I tap on one of those results and it takes me to their website. And then I go back to Google assistant and I say, you know, what about Chinese? It goes, I don't, what do you mean? What about Chinese? <laughs> Whereas like if I'd stayed Is in this it, language, it would, yeah, I would understand the context of restaurants. So like that each time it, it does Mike's favorite XKCD that, Hey, I'm a server. Like each, each time you go back to it, it's like, Oh, you're showing up for the first time. And I know things about you, but I, we've never spoken before. So it's, th these seem like things that Google is really good at ironing out. So, I'm not really worried for the long term, but in the short term, every time you hit one of those little snags, you're kind of like, eh, that was annoying. And partially because Google Now is so good. Like Google Now launched pretty polished and has gotten more polished. So this this is a step back in terms of polish, but it's a step forward in terms of power. So it's kind of, you know, they'll get there. But what does it actually do? I mean, is it just more conversational or do they actually have new features that wouldn't be possible on what this device here can do at the moment? Like, it's, why is it so it's, exclusive? It's more conversational, but it's also like it can actually do things. So, for example, I can say, you know, find me, you know, the most expensive steak restaurant in the area and it'll, you know, find me a steak restaurant. And then I could say make me a reservation and it'll do that, you know, like through the open table API, ah. or I could say, um, give me driving directions and it will actually use my preferred navigation application. F you Apple maps. Um, so, <laughs> so it's nice that like I can tell it to do things and it uses the app I want it to use, not the app it thinks it should use. So it's little, little things like that. Um, but then where it's really already showing its, its potential is, Uh, they already have an IFTTT channel. So you can make your own phrase and then just have that phrase do anything that IFTTT could do. Okay, that's powerful. Right? So you could open the Google Assistant and go like, flippity jibbity 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 and then have that do <laughs> whatever you want it to. Like, it doesn't have to be English. It just has to be a recognizable phrase. So right now, that's only available on the Pixel. And I, I heard talk about that being only available for the Pixel But does it actually, is it not possible to bring that to a different device, say a uh, Nexus 5X or a 6P? Oh, the, uh, the XK or the, what is it? The XDA developer folks, they've already done it. They've, they've already hacked okay. it back onto like basically every other Android phone. Yeah. Um, and Because I it think... doesn't seem like anything that where you need a specially powerful phone for a special CPU architecture. This seems well, like something and, that Google and, Now is already doing. Yeah, and there's, as far as I know, there's no special guts. It's not like Apple lately has added like a special chip for everything. And as far as I know, the Pixel does not have like a dedicated assistant bit of hardware. Um, so there's absolutely nothing to keep this off other devices. I think, 
someone said whether or not it was official, but I'm pretty sure somebody within Google said like, we are open to putting this on other devices. For now, this is a Pixel thing. So yeah. it was for it now. Was, let us sell this new phone. Yeah, it was like a, a non-denial <laughs> denial. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Can can you please just buy this seven hundred dollar phone yeah. before you let us put it I, on the two hundred dollar phone? I remember this. This happened with the watch I have, the LG Watch R, where the uh, the the luxury edition that like launched a year later that had Wi-Fi on it, and then suddenly they said, oh, the old one it also gets Wi-Fi now. Half a year later, and it's like, well. You didn't just sneak up into my room at night and build a little <laughs> Wi-Fi receiver in there. It was on there the whole time. You just wanted to sell your new watch. Yeah, they did the exact same thing with the original flat tire Moto 360. They were like, oh, the new one's going to have Wi-Fi. Oh, wait, the old one also has a Wi-Fi chip in it. Okay, we enabled it <laughs> in the old one. And it feels like, I mean, if you want to give them the benefit of the doubt, you could say like, well, the old one when the hardware launched the software wasn't ready so they disabled the chip but uh, i don't i'm not convinced <laughs> nah, i think they were nah. they were just holding it back for for sales sake and then when they realized they had a huge stock of the old ones they were like now it's even better so uh, you still don't have a new laptop the no. apple the apple <laughs> event has now come and gone you know we were going to talk about microsoft and then apple but let's just talk about apple and then microsoft so yeah you're not uh not hell-bent on getting a macbook pro huh not really no <laughs> last time i was on the show we talked about very complicated solutions to me not wanting to get a better laptop laptop and i said how i i, I would either stay with a very low-powered uh chromebook just to do like terminal stuff or get a high-powered macbook so i can do everything i do on my desktop uh, but then I saw the new MacBooks come out. And I I will admit before we talk about this that I won't be able to go so in-depth as Mike would be able to, for <laughs> uh, example. So next week you're going to get Mike's position as well because I've never owned an Apple computer at all ever in my life. And so all I can say is I was kind of interested in one. I started budgeting for it. Then there was this new launch of the new MacBook Pros, and I was like, nah, I'm going to invest that in something else. Yeah, so here's what Apple announced. Well, let, let me say first, here's what everyone expected. Everyone was expecting new MacBooks, new MacBook Airs, new MacBook Pros, new Thunderbolt displays, new Mac Pros, new iMacs. Like, there was some suspicion that they were going to, it was time to basically refresh the entire line. And what they did instead was launched like literally just the MacBook Pro. So there was pretty universal disappointment because people's expectations weren't met, which is not Apple's fault. Like people get all whipped up in a frenzy, right? So that Apple is not yet to blame. They're about to be to blame. So the other part of the the other part of the disappointment came from uh if you wanted a desktop and all they announced was the new MacBook Pro, you were kind of like, wait, what about me over here? And then if you want certain features from your your MacBook Pro and that's not what they delivered, then there's going to be disappointment. So before I tear this computer apart, I will say uh, one of the prevailing commentaries I've seen over the last few days on the internet is Apple doesn't care about this or Apple doesn't care about me or Apple doesn't care about this sector or this segment. And I think that's kind of an unfair statement because there's a, a perfectly reasonable expectation since they're always trying to push boundaries that this is what they think that segment or sector or, or product line needs to, to drive forward. Um, that little tiny benefit of the doubt, notwithstanding uh, what th what they did was put a slightly better chip in there. Uh, they didn't let you add any more RAM, so it still maxes out at 16 gigs of RAM. They may have done better chips, but you can't add more. Um, it's all flash now. You could do more flash storage. That's cool. And then a stupid touch bar at the top. And I say stupid touch bar because I don't know who this is for in the the professional world. Yes, I completely agree. <laughs> I, I saw this touch bar and it seemed like the only really new thing. I mean, it's the most apparent thing when you look at this thing now, uh, the new touch bar. Um, 
it looks cool. It's <laughs> wow, you you got dynamic keyboard. I mean, we we see this on on the on our phones, which is pretty nice that you get like a dynamic keyboard. If I enter an HTML input field that's just for numbers, hey, you're giving me just the numbers. So we've already learned that having a dynamic keyboard can be very useful. But we're talking about applications here where people know the shortcuts and they want to work fast. They want to be productive. They don't want to look down from the screen. They want to keep looking at the screen. And that's just the the main problem I had with this. They're like, hey, here's this dynamic new part of your keyboard. Like, look at what kind of cool stuff this can do. And I'm sitting here thinking, uh, yeah, but now I have to look down to do stuff. And I would rather not have to look down to do stuff because I can do that <laughs> stuff by just hitting shortcuts that I've been using for years. Yeah, that and, you can uh, feel out it, and not have to ever look at again. Right, because that's how, you be, that's, that's how you're productive. I saw um, a, a video where somebody showed like, oh, now if I'm typing in Microsoft Word, which is always weird, like they always show the Microsoft <laughs> Office Suite. Um Oh, now I want to bolt this text, so I have the bolt key right here, and I'm like, uh, Control B. Yeah, there, there you go, <laughs> boom, done. So, and I, I will say that uh, anyone who is already good at something, whether it's uh, using computer machines or music or art or folding laundry, like if you're already good at something, it's very easy to forget what it was like to have to learn that thing and to become good at it. So there's an argument to be made that this laptop doesn't make it easier for professionals to be professionals. It makes it easier for a non-professional to become a professional because when you're in uh, Logic or Final Cut or Christ Terminal was one of the things they showed, then it'll actually, you know, surface uh, you know, faster shortcuts and, and application capabilities that you may have otherwise not known about and that may have been uh, completely opaque to you. However, anyone who wants to become a professional at something is probably going to look for efficiencies and it's unlikely that you would get as good at reaching for the touch bar as you would at doing the tactile keyboard shortcuts. So in my mind, they've made it easier for consumers to get some professional powers but they've made it harder for professionals to maximize their efficiency because you are now yeah. missing an entire row of keys that you may have been doing <laughs> stuff with totally true i totally agree uh, you've i've read you've also been using vim for quite a while right well <laughs> A yes. little bit, at least. I, I mean, but, I, but you, you I, I remember? Use it, I would say I use it every day. But the thing is, I'm not doing development work, so my okay, my depth and breadth is pretty narrow and shallow. But just for the general text processing, processing, you remember how it was like jumping into the cold water, where if you're starting out with Vim, you don't even know how to close the damn thing. Oh yeah, I mean, there's, uh, I see that retweet every couple of months. It's like <laughs> I've been using Vim for ten years now because I can't figure out how to close it. <laughs> And I also remember, like, I, I wanted to learn a text editor that's just very small, simple, and it's everywhere. It's ubiquitous. And I remember that the first weeks, maybe months, were kind of hard. But by now, I wouldn't want to have anything else. And you have to, like, go through with that. And if I had a special keyboard for Vim, for Vim I... I wouldn't be able to master it in any way ever. Like you, 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 you're building your own skill ceiling by adding that row there. I believe maybe I'm I'm too el elite, elitist right now about this, but I, yeah, it's it's like nice to have a few extra functions. But again, you have to look away from the monitor, and I think everything that makes you look away from the monitor is not an improvement. Yeah, I'm. I, when you're talking about speed of keyboard input. Like, I mean, just imagine, I know this is going to sound really stupid and I'm creating a false dichotomy and a straw man, but just imagine if you had to look at your hand to click the mouse. <laughs> yeah. Like it just it's about that. Yeah. No one would feel like that was an improvement. Even if the mouse was right up near the screen and you could do it like super fast. If you had to look down at the trackpad or at your mouse to, to click it, to know where you were going to click and what was going to happen most people would be like, oh, that's insane. And I, I know I've seen videos of children, like almost always children, um, who have never used a physical keyboard on a mobile device and they can type crazy fast on a mobile device. 
but there's a huge difference between typing English or German or what I mean, typing in your, you know, typing language and typing uh, archaic voodoo commands in the form of keyboard shortcuts that do complicated actions. So, you know, Vim, uh, any kind of creative tool like a, a an Adobe or a, a Premiere or, or Final Cut or any of these, I just... I, is are they really going to have think about all the keyboard shortcuts you have are they really going to have 150 little icons up there in the the touch bar are they going to have the 10 most common ones do you have to customize it every time does it save that customization in between la- launches of the application can you have templates like these are i don't know it's just it it's yeah. cute but it really doesn't seem like for a professional they will now be faster than they were before this is all for the the, few- the, the prosumer the few kind of functions I could actually see work on that thing, uh, yeah, things like with uh, video editing or audio editing is the scrub feature that they showed, especially for like video players. I can see how having a dedicated touch strip there just to scrub through your footage um, without having to get an, an external uh, like controller just for that, that can be quite useful. And I don't think you will have to uh, look down too much to do that. Like if they do this intelligent thing where wherever you start putting your finger down, that's just the zero point. And as soon as I scrub to the right, it's like speeding up. That could totally work. But then any other function, then the, the touch bar is doing literally that one and only one thing. Otherwise, you have to put right. it into scrub mode, probably with a keyboard shortcut. <laughs> True. And then then it's uh, like, so this is now a trade-off because I found this article where uh, somebody from Apple stated basically that um, it uh, the, the MacBook Pro only has 16 gigabytes of RAM to save battery life. And somebody in the comments mentioned, well, you got this uh, touch bar there that lights up. Um, also kind yeah. of uses up a little bit of battery life, doesn't and- it? And if I I understood correctly, when someone did like a, a bit of a teardown on it, like you know, I think they may have had access to physical hardware and from things they announced in the presentation, it basically has an Apple Watch crammed into it. Because yeah, it's, touch, it's just the, an Apple Watch stretched out to, to to a touch bar. Yeah, so there's there's weird limitations about how much you can customize it and interact with it because Mac OS is kind of essentially talking to an entire separate little computer shoved inside your computer. It, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, doc? I'm, I feel like no one, this was a weird launch to me because no one would care this much if they had also checked the other boxes. Like if they said, we're giving you the fastest flash storage available. We're giving you twice as much RAM if you want to pay for it. We're going to give you, you know, the best possible screen. We're going to give you 57 USB ports all around the outside. And it's not going to be 300 bucks more expensive than the one before that. But even if, like if they checked all those boxes and they were like, this is the best computer anyone has ever made and it costs four grand then you would at least have people saying oh my god i wish i could afford this not oh my god who's gonna pay 300 more dollars for basically the same computer you already released (laughs) it's it's very it's just very strange to me i don't i don't know why they would have made not even really the trade-offs that they made but just they didn't trade anything off they just took basically the existing macbook pro and put a touch bar on it Well, what they also put in there is uh, USB-C, and that's kind of a. It's it's. We just talked about USB-C, like that's the future. We want everybody to go to to USB-C, and since I'm not invested in the Apple ecosystem, I'm like, hey, good on you. But now think about all those people with the new Apple headphones with the Lightning port, and who now will also buy another dongle. Well, I guess it does still have a headphone jack. So you could use the included lightning to headphone adapter, I guess. That doesn't sound as courageous as it could have been. Wait, wait, wait. The included adapter is regular headphones to lightning for the iPhone 7. So yes, you would have to buy a separate dongle to use your (laughs) lightning headphones on your MacBook Pro. Welcome to the future. Yeah, that is not terribly courageous. But I mean, they they want you to just buy AirPods and then just use the touch bar to switch them from device to device. 
Yeah, I know why I'm, I don't want to invest in the Apple ecosystem. I don't want to get. I don't want to get in there. No. I I was excited to see four USB C ports that you could any of them can be used for charging because even though it's a little too early for, to get the full dream out of that soon, hopefully within a few years, you're going to be able to basically walk out of your house with one USB-C cable and your laptop and that's it. And you know, anywhere you go, you can plug it in and it's, it's secure at the data layer. So you can say, no, I just want power. Even though I'm plugging into this other thing, every, every power bank will work. Every wall wart will work. So we're not there yet but like that i was i was like okay that is future forward like that actually is looking toward where things are hopefully going but uh, eh. yeah. so what about microsoft then so microsoft on the other hand in a bizarro universe we've apparently now found ourselves in has decided that, and they announced a bunch of other stuff, but I'm not going to talk about any of that because I don't care about any of that. What I care about is the Surface Studio, which is a gigantic 28-inch all-in-one PC with a huge built-in digitizer. So it's basically like the a gigantic Cintiq tablet, really high-precision drawing. It works with the Surface Pen, um, you know, really low latency. It, the entire thing about the Surface Studio and kind of the presentation in general was, uh, hey, artists, we got you. <laughs> You're going to be disappointed by tomorrow's announcement of the MacBook Pro. So don't forget about this. We're going to show you now. It seemed like a little bit like that. Yeah, it, it, it seemed it really all did. very much direct, uh, directed towards the visual artists, the kind of people who buy the MacBook Pro. And then the first thing they do is install the Adobe Suite on there. Um, and this thing... It looked amazing. I mean, the trailer that uh, they produced for that. Um, I got to admit, it made me, made me interested in the thing, although I'm not a visual artist. But I do know a few visual artists, and I asked <laughs> them about this thing. Uh, like, hey, what, what do you think of this? And um, so Lars also, uh, he uses a Cintiq. Not, not all the time. He's actually uh, more used to just using a regular old graphic tablet. The thing you talked about on the last episode, like how can people coordinate the hand and their eye that way? Like, oh, uh, oh, a whack-em? possible. Oh. <laughs> yeah, whack-em, yeah. <laughs> He's whacking him. Um, <laughs> but he also has a Cintiq. And um, so, so he seemed quite skeptical. Um, it's one of those things, and it's it's a common uh, critique of him about the Cintiq in general, is they make you think you need it, but you actually don't, because it's you can get used to drawing on a on a graphic tablet in front of you without that thing also being the screen, and Cintiqs and also this thing three thousand dollars it's quite expensive, and uh, the, the other thing being just the sheer size. Um, I've also worked a little bit on those tablets and at some point it's do you remember when you first played Legend of Zelda on the Wii and you were like yeah I, I can swing the sword it's so amazing <laughs> like an hour in you were like flick of the wrist yeah um imagine yeah, like, that how, drawing how do I turn off these touch controls <laughs> yeah if 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 I don't if I want to like draw something I don't want to make those huge sweeping mo uh, movements um I mean, sometimes, of course, you want to zoom in and have like very precise controls, but there's you got to hit like this middle ground where you get detailed movement, like precise movement, but you don't want to have you mo to move your arm around like thirty feet in front of you, not thirty feet, thirty centimeters <laughs> in front of you. Well, do you think this is just like uh, Apple seems to be going after the lower end of the professionals? This is not going after people who already have mastered. Wickham's and Cintiq's but this is like hey do you already know how to draw and paint on paper but you've wanted to get into digital art this will feel more like what you're used to because like this but for 3k but it is also an entire computer like yeah okay okay yeah I mean I mean even if you only used it for its its drawing desk because I mean you can articulate it down so that it's like an old school animation drawing desk like where you're hunched over and it's at like a 45 degree angle um which I think to to the right kind of artist would probably be very appealing and like one of the when uh, Mike got his iPad Pro one of the things that I I felt like such an idiot. I don't remember if I ever said this on the show, but like I felt like such an idiot when he showed it to me 
because this somehow did not occur to me is he had the iPad pro down on a table and he was drawing something and then he wanted to like lay his hand a certain way while he continued drawing. So he put his fingers down on the screen and rotated the paper but of course he didn't rotate the physical iPad. He just, the screen part, you know, cockeyed like 12 degrees. And I kind of like leaned back in my chair and I was like, Whoa, how did it not occur to me that that would be a benefit of like digital art is like, you can, (laughs) you can have the canvas at whatever crazy angle you want. You could set it, you know, in like Adobe, you can set the, the rotation down to like two or three decimal places. If you were like a crazy person, so if you had if if you're an artist who's used to drawing on, you know, paper or canvas or whatever like on a physical medium and you have to rotate it when you want to have your and your hand at a certain angle to the the paper, being able to do that digitally is probably a pretty big win. And then to your point about like big sweeping arm movements, you can just zoom way out. So now a small wrist movement is a big sweeping movement as far as your artwork is concerned. So I I mean, I'm, I'm but not... now you bought this 30 inch thing that's uh, <laughs> to to use a small portion of it. Well, hopefully, sometimes you do big gorilla arm movements because then you look like a real creative because <laughs> you're like waving your magic wand all out in the air in front of you. Jason Pollock on my Microsoft Studio. Yeah, you, you've got to have like a row of like 10 surface pencils. Then you like pick, you know, this is the red one and you pick it up and you like smack the crap out of the screen with it. <laughs> But I, I mean, I'm, yeah, somebody's gonna mod a Wiimote so you can splash color at it from a distance. Oh man, there's there's somewhere there's like a, a beta Steam store app or something that lets you yeah. do that. Oh, it's it's not gonna be Wiimote. It's gonna be a uh, uh, Connect. Does that thing still exist? Uh, Microsoft would probably like to think so. Yeah. <laughs> so so this, I mean, Lars saw this, and I mean, he like he, he that's like this is like his full. <clears throat> like his full time deal is being an artist. So was he yeah. was not he was not like super excited. Not for the price point. So as I said, it's way easier to just upgrade parts of your of your rig, which is also why I'm also a desktop person and not a laptop person. Hey, I need more graphics power. Let me get a new graphics card. I need a bigger graphic tablet. Let me actually just get a graphics tablet. <laughs> and and also they um Cintiq also makes uh, a line of um drawing desks that are called companions where it's actually it's not just a graphic tablet it's it uh, just not a Cintiq it also it's a computer like Windows runs on there it's basically a surface <laughs> um, people use that thing also so just I, I know plenty of people who use those things that are not going to be swayed by a uh, by a $3,000 device that it at least doesn't seem as portable. I mean, it, if it's just those, it's just the screen and the little box, which actually houses the computer. And I believe it's only one cable coming out of there. It, it's kind of portable. Yes, but it's not portable. Like I'm just going to put this in my bag now. Yeah, I I don't think that's the market they're going after. But maybe that's going to be the new thing. Um I I know um or I've read of people saying like, "Oh yeah, in our in our graphics studio, we've got a few Macs standing around for when we have customers over, but in reality in the back room we're all working on Windows." So now we're all going to get the Surface Studio. Well, so you mentioned like upgrading your rig. So that makes me wonder two things. Uh, one, this is not meant for someone who already has a setup that they're perfectly happy with, and that is an artist for a living. Like if if you if you're a construction worker and you have your tried and true tools on your belt, if they come out like if if you know craftsman comes out with new hammers and screwdrivers, you don't say like, well, this is all garbage. <laughs> I'm going to throw all this away and go buy new stuff. And I assume the same would be true with professional tools in any segment right like you don't throw away all your music equipment every time like sure comes out with a new microphone so no this totally would, not <laughs> this would definitely be more attractive to someone who is not a professional right now and wants to either become a professional or is or is you know like finishing up a, a, a program in university or something and they say like okay i need professional hardware now do i buy a pc and a cintiq and a Wacom tablet, and this other thing, and this other thing, or do I just buy this one thing? Even though the the collection of other pieces may collectively still cost less money, <laughs> there is something attractive about, I'll just buy this one thing. Now we got to figure out if on our starter packs, there's already a starter pack for visual artists, and it's just a picture of the Microsoft Surface <laughs> Studio. 
I mean, it, it's. I feel like it's I'm, kind I'm of definitely... a starter pack. It's an expensive one, but it's kind of a starter pack. Yeah, you only have to buy this device, and you can just start. I mean, you still have to get the Adobe Creative Cloud subscription, but hopefully, it's all calibrated correctly. I mean, that's that's I can understand. You don't have to like um, delve into drivers and optimizing your your things, which we're going to talk about when we talk about live streams. <laughs> um, it can be quite of a hassle. So having your modular, regular old desktop, instead you have this one device that hopefully does things correctly. But then again, sometimes I don't trust Microsoft with that, which is why I'm not still not on Windows 10. I don't want their forced updates. I don't trust them. And um, let I mean, I'm, I'm open to the idea. Let's see where this goes. So, it, But for me, yeah, it's it's kind of a starter pack, a very expensive starter pack. You do raise the interesting point of like, hey, uh, the hardware seems cool, but, you know, uh, Windows, how about that Windows? <laughs> I mean, like if, if most people are used to working on Windows because that's where the hardware and software they need or they prefer is, but if they're still hanging back because they're not super excited about Windows 10, that could potentially be... Yeah, I'm a say I'm a professional. I've got money to burn because I'm good at my job. I'm interested in upgrading some of my gear. This is attractive to me, but I hate Windows 10. Like, I wonder if that would push people off from from you know jumping in. Yeah, at least it's keeping me away from upgrading. Um, I considered it throughout the whole year where it was free, and I'm like, nah, nah. I got my <laughs> setup here. I got my drivers. Nah, nah, I'm good. Free ain't that important. Uh, there is yeah. one other thing. I'm gl- I'm glad I brought their website up because I completely forgot to put this in the show notes, uh, which you can find at sunriserobot.net slash sleeping table slash 143. Um, they have uh, the pen, obviously, but then they also have this little hockey puck thing, the Surface uh, Dial, yeah. <laughs> um, that you can put on the screen and then use it for, like, it's yet another form of, of interaction with menus and things. So uh, in... I'm trying really hard not to just keep comparing this to what Apple announced, but I mean, they were literally the day after one another. So um, this to me seems like a lot more innovative of a way to interact because you have this giant surface. You don't want to be gorilla arming out to the edge of the screen where the buttons are. So instead you have your pen and you can do like a couple of things with your pen, but then you also have the dial and you can reach over to the dial and like turn it and then push it and get you know, a handful of context specific, like maybe I'm using it to tweak the color as I'm, I'm drawing with the the brush, or maybe I'm using it to change the line thickness. Um, well, I guess the pen is, is surface uh, or not surface. That's uh, pressure, pressure sensitive. sensitive. Yeah. So, I mean, you could already do that kind of stuff, but you, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's ways you could interact. And, and I presume that this would extend to anything that wanted to call this input devices API. So, to your point about scrubbing, how cool would it be to just literally have a physical dial that you could place anywhere on the screen that was convenient to you, and then you have your fine motor skills to let you scrub super fast or scrub really slow. You know, you could use it for horizontal horizontal and vertical scrolling, maybe like a press switches between the two of them. Like this, I don't know what it would actually be like to use in practice, but when I see this, I find this kind of thing to be far more exciting. It seems exciting, but then I think about whatever this thing can do, which is you put it there and then you can either rotate it or like scrub with a finger on top of it. Um, Supposedly this thing has multi-touch. So why doesn't it have the same function if I just put like three fingers on there and then start dialing or a fourth finger so it does another thing? Uh, Can it not do that? Because that seems like you just described exactly how it would function. Then why have that extra (laughs) dial? Um, I think, I mean, for, for me and, and I, I, I'm always interested by accessibility things, but I try not to speak to them too authoritatively because I don't know what it's like to live with motor function, but like I have a, uh, a, uh, a Logitech MX pro plus 2000. I don't know. It's got some stupid name, but it has, it has a, 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 a normal wheel between the two buttons where you would expect. So then it also has the, the thumb wheel and I've been using that mouse for, God, probably a year now-ish, and I cannot do the thumb motion nearly as smoothly as I can do, like, the middle finger motion. So 
I'm thinking if I have this little dial and I could scrub with my fingertips or I could like tweak my wrist, like hold it like I'm pinching it and, and tweak my wrist, I, I would probably prefer the wrist tweak like I'm turning an actual knob. But yeah, the, so the dial, I kind of view the dial almost like the touch strip on the new MacBook Pro. I like the idea. I like that it gives you like contextual uh, actions and you can place it everywhere. You can even, you don't have to put it on the screen. I mean, you can just have it on your desk. But as soon as it's on your desk, um, and that's also what professionals say, is I have a keyboard there. And again, I have <laughs> shortcuts on my keyboard. Sometimes I customize all my shortcuts to just do the right thing with as little motion as possible. Um, why should I switch to that little cylinder um, instead of my trusted keyboard where I can actually feel where I am? And it's, again, it's a thing of you would have to relearn this. Uh, in hopes that in the end it will turn out to be make you more productive, and for those of you, for those people starting out, they will never, maybe they will never learn to um or appreciate having a having your keyboard shortcuts all memorized or not even memorized like muscle memory. You think about it, you do it, you don't even think about what your fingers have to do, and I kind of feel like you're missing that. We um like we we try to move away from the keyboard more and more, and with the years going by, I feel like I use my keyboard more and more. The more I really want to learn to do something professionally and fast and productive, the keyboard is the most valuable tool on my computer. Why is everybody trying to take that away from us? I mean, doesn't it feel like the a lot of these tools are specialty tools? Like you don't <clears throat> you wouldn't replace the myriad keyboard shortcuts you know with the dial but just like the touch bar on the macbook pro that if that scrubbing action is something that is the only thing it's good for but you do it hundreds and hundreds of times and it's like well maybe it's worth having a dedicated tool for this one weird yeah. little action i mean i'm, I'm, I'm i just I'm always have a the lot price of in the mind yeah, oh, yeah the, it, the stupid know. little dial is a hundred bucks yeah it's you can get cheaper. You can like co-opt uh, co some MIDI controllers to do the same thing. And they're probably a lot cheaper. And they can then still do a lot more because they also have some buttons on there. It's That's all I'm thinking about. It's Yes, it, it does some things very well, but for that price, I don't see doing... But then again, I'm... I'm I, yeah, as I said, I never bought any Apple devices. And I also feel every, like every Apple device is kind of like, yeah, it's really nice, but for that price... Mm, Maybe I'm just maybe just cheap. Maybe I just don't want to spend any money on things. Yeah, I mean, there's there's that argument of like it's at a certain point most people like once you're making enough money or if it's your full time gig is is doing or working on this certain thing, then you start to get more willing to exchange time from or money for time. Like, so if I spend a hundred dollars, I can get back five minutes of my day every single day. Yeah, that's worth it. Right. And most people like if you're a, a, a consumer or if you're not like a very good professional or you you're just very budget constrained or whatever the, the you know, the opposite end of the spectrum might be, then you're just like eh, five minutes for a hundred dollars. That doesn't sound worth it. But if you are like this is your full time job, I can understand why someone would be like, no, that's five minutes every day for who knows how many years like I want that time back. So you know, I mean, champagne problems, you know but I, I get you it. You know what? You're right. I take it, actually take it back. Um, I just looked at my swivel arm that I'm using right now and <laughs> thinking back of the previous Bits and Pieces episode where I talk about my old swivel arm, which was very cheap. Um, yes, sometimes it's okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a champagne problems thing. Like for the people who can eke out those tiny drops of efficiency at what seems like an unreasonable amount of money. It's like, oh, boo-hoo, you know, this thing only comes in two colors instead of three colors. But, you know, if, if that's your full-time job, like if you have any kind of job, you want the best tools and, you know, Apple and Microsoft and Cintiq and Wacom and all these other companies are all trying to say, no, we have the best tools for creative work. We, we're the ones you come to. So I, you know, Am I going to buy this thing, especially when the maxed out one is like five grand or something absurd? No, but I'd love to touch one. I'd love to to go into a Microsoft store and play with it. Maybe let my toddler bang on it. 
So tell me about your insane live streaming setup and how the uh, Microsoft Surface Studio is going to make your life better. Uh, I don't think it would, <laughs> to be honest. Starting out, I definitely need uh, two monitors for that kind of stuff. Um, so recently, we've started doing a lot of live streams. Lars and I for his art stuff. And I'm also doing a little bit of that on uh, for, for music. Uh, check out bits, bits and pieces for that. And it's every time you stream, there are diff uh, different technical problems. I've went through four iterations of how to pipe my audio from Ableton Live, where I do all the processing on the microphones, into OBS, the broadcasting software, where... Just thinking about it, there, there are two softwares on your computer on the same device. How do you make them talk to each other on Windows? I know on Apple, I know <laughs> Mike filled me in, I know. Um, I went through multiple iterations. I finally found a solution that I'm kind of comfortable with, um, even if it cost me 20 bucks. Again, um, made my life easier there. dollars, yeah. Australian dollars. <laughs> Uh, but still, like you always go through audio issues, video issues, and uh, I've learned of something called DPC latency, deferred process call, uh, where it's basically once you that webcam I'm using right now, once you set it to 1080p, it starts hogging like CPU cycles and blocking other drivers, mostly my audio driver, from piping audio through. So you start getting getting pops and crackles because the webcam is like, no, give me CPU time. I want that. <laughs> oh, you got eight cores? Give me more of that. <laughs> it's a webcam. Are you yeah. are you live streaming in 4K? <laughs> What's happening here? No, just 1080p. And that should that should be all right. That should work on this setup. But it's... Uh, so from what I could gather, it's mostly that... Logitech didn't do a good job at writing those drivers. So technically, this shouldn't be a problem if they did a good job. At least that that's what I got from some of the forum threads. And um, but th th that's that's the technical aspects. But uh, this show isn't about isn't only about like technology in the, just in that sense, but also like internet culture. And I just <laughs> wanted to mention that something we did yesterday for the first time usually it's just the camera points directly down to the to the table where he is painting a picture you never see us you only hear our voices because it's not about us it's about the picture although people kind of tune in to hear about us or hear you, from us you have to say it's about the art it's about the art <laughs> it's um but throughout the stream we got hungry and we ordered pizza. And you remember when we live streamed in Denver, we also got pizza. We ate it on stream, although our camera kept freezing yeah, for some reason. The, and the, the so, Americans did not get to enjoy as much pizza. <laughs> and so there is this thing called uh, mukbang or social eating, where we've we've already gotten used to people playing video games on stream and other people watching it. And I'm one of those people. I like to watch other people <laughs> game. If it's people I like and games I like. But having people watch you eat, it's kind of weird. But we decided to do it anyway. <laughs> so we had the pizza came. We had a little break, like mounted the camera to a different angle, sat down on the couch, put the microphone in front of us, turned the stream on again. It's like, okay, uh, hello, people watching. You just saw this guy paint. Now you're going to see us eat pizza. And it was the weirdest thing ever. And did your subscriber count quadruple? You were like, yeah, finally, pizza. I don't, I, I know that we gained a lot of subscribers during the whole stream. <laughs> I don't know how, which portion of that is thanks to the social eating part of the stream. So what was the word you called it? For, uh, for the, Korean the Korean word is, I believe, mukbang. Okay, so when you said that, I was like, that doesn't sound german but i'm not no 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 no. <laughs> i'm not fantastic with languages so but yeah that's um yeah <laughs> so anyway um there's uh i mean you you know i i travel a lot for my work and and a lot of what i do in person i am shocked by how much of it could have been done remotely but even <laughs> though i'm you know, a child of the internet era. And I remember a time before the internet, but I mean, it's been around the majority of my, my formative or all of my formative years and the majority of my life. Um, I still place a premium on 
seeing someone in person and like shaking their hand and making eye contact with them. And if there's, you know, several people around the table being able to like quickly, you know, gauge people's reactions, it's, that is very hard or impossible to do in most remote setups. And there are little weird things that people have started doing in the, the internet era because of physical proximity being an impossibility. Like the first time a friend of mine said, Oh, I'm going to watch a Netflix movie with my, my friend. So, you know, girl a says, I'm going to watch a Netflix movie with girl B. And I was like, doesn't girl B live like six States over. And she was like, Oh no, we just, we like start a hangout. And then we just both start the movie on our own Netflix at the same time. I was like, so you're watching the movie separately, but you're watching each other watch the movie. And she was like, yeah. And I was like, that's so dumb. Like, that's so incredibly dumb. No way. I completely get that because yeah. I realized that I have played card games, physical card games with people. So I have an entire deck. They have an entire deck <laughs> and we just play through a hangout. And I was like, why does this seem ridiculous when people tell me they're doing these things? And yet I have personally benefited from them. Like we don't, it's not yet baked enough into culture that I, I was able to connect what she was doing to what I had already done. And like, when you just said these people watched us eat, I was like, is this like weird porn? Like, and, <laughs> and yet why not? Like we already all sit around a table. So like, why not just, I'm, I want to talk to my friend it's dinner time where he is. It's dinner time where I am. So we just set up our laptops and we both eat dinner while we're talking. Like that shouldn't seem weird, but it's such early days that it still seems weird. So all this time you have all these people watching you eat. Like, did it feel weird the whole time or did you just settle into it? Like, how, how was it? I kind of settled in um, after a while. So the, the first few minutes were like, okay um am i i I, are people gonna hear me like munching on the piece of pizza and 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 also there were some people who they they said it before we started eating like oh i'm also gonna eat while you're doing that so that's also part of it like sometimes people actually do that as you describe with having dinner with a friend they also start eating so it kind of feels like everybody's eating together you're not alone it's i know people like to keep their television on when they try to sleep at night and i totally get that it was just um one of those things maybe where you put a lot of effort into making music, doing art, sometimes getting on stage to do those things, driving to conventions. And here we are in my living room with a webcam eating $6 pizza and there are a hundred people watching us. Yeah. I could see how that would be frustrating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've noticed, uh, traditional artists usually people older than than you are um who have you know been touring or they've been trying to make a career with their art or their music or whatever uh they have a lot of animosity toward the youtube generation and i think with youtube and and it's it's style of live streams and videos and things there's a lot more um cerebral preparation that goes into it because if you are going to play uh you know music in a venue there are certain things you have zero control over you can't decide what kind of wood the stage is made out of you can't decide how wide it is you can't decide you know where the lights are mounted in the ceiling there's you can't decide if the bar is too close to the stage and you can hear bottles clinking all night like there's tons of things that you just give up on but then when you move to a digital medium it's like what if you controlled the entire universe and you have control infinitely over all the visuals and all the sound and over everything and if it's uh something that's pre-recorded like a video you're creating you can can literally control time like some things can happen slower or faster than others like it's it, you now have uh you know nearly infinite possibilities and you can see with the way a lot of YouTube videos are cut that there's whole styles of delivery and humor that would never, ever, ever work in a live performance. Definitely. I've learned to love the digital Zoom. When I first <laughs> had my, my first digital camcorder, I was like, wow, this thing has Zoom. Oh, no, it's just enlarging the pixels. What? That, that's Who would ever use that? And by now it's become like a, a, a device of comedy, of doing a... Sometimes uh, just a jump cut to a digital zoom or sometimes like slowly zooming in on a person. And that can be 
quite funny if you do it right. Oh yeah, I mean it's the uh it's like the meme where it's it zooms in on the one weird part of the picture and then like after the fourth or fifth zoom, it's all the way back out to zero zoom, but that one weird part is now replicated like a hundred times. Yeah. It's usually like someone yeah, group Someone's photo and somebody's making a weird face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh good old memes. So your live streaming setup, uh when you talk about like piping audio around, this does make me think um, especially since you know I podcast every single week, that we still have not gotten to the stage where computing power is so ubiquitous that it doesn't sometimes make me long for dedicated hardware. I'm like, what if what if the thing doing the recording and the thing doing the Skype call were physically separate devices so that they would stop interfering with each other? Well, it would make it easy for things to be able to be plugged into each other as long as they're all not too courageous and get rid of all audio jacks which is kind of a problem with audio engineering we do need those regular audio jacks Um, but yeah sometimes i wished i had just a device that is just there to stream uh, a computer that just runs ableton for the sound and another one just for the video Um, it's too expensive though and i want everything in one box i want to be able to control it on one screen with one mouse and it seems to go fine so far, but I'm not not out of the woods. There's still sometimes little jumps, little buffering problems. Where at, so at least now I know my setup. Now it's down to optimizing like driver priority and um, figuring out like, oh, this process takes too long. Let's kill it. We don't need it. And part of me, the the computer science guy in me, thinks, hey, this is this is a cool, interesting problem. Let's solve it. But the guy who just wants to make music or edit videos or live stream is like, can we please have this problem solved last year? <laughs> and can please uh, Windows come with an audio engine that makes it possible for me to just pipe this audio into this software because it's on the same computer. It's it's a bit of RAM that has a buffer in it. Can I please tell this software that you can read from there? That's all that needs to happen. I mean, of course, there's more that needs to happen, but that's technically all that needs to happen. Yeah, this this is almost definitely a, an artifact of the, the bad old days when no one ever considered these two pieces of software will want to send audio to each other as opposed to sending audio out through the speakers or in from a microphone or you know some kind of capture device. But I mean, this this is something Apple hands down gets better than Windows and absolutely with, with call with, audio. Yeah, and with all of the effort Microsoft has put into visual stuff, it would be awesome to find out, like, oh, audio people, we didn't forget about you, like, because we know your amazing, you know, video that you're streaming of you drawing something with our cool Surface Pen is going to have music and sound effects and microphones and stuff. We have also made all of our audio drivers, like, a million times better. So the... The things like that are way harder to demo on stage because there's not really anything to look at and everyone knows what a waveform looks like, but only someone who does audio work would understand the significance of the description of the functionality. So it's, I can understand why it would be less sexy for them to put it up on stage, but it would still be cool if they were like, oh, hey, we're not going to do this on stage because it's not very visually appealing, but also we made this change and now we essentially have core audio open on Windows. I would just love to be able to throw all of my virtual audio cables out of the window because that's all these things are doing. They're mimicking a virtual audio device. They always come in pairs, like an input and an output pair. So I tell Ableton or some other software, hey, send this to this audio cable. And then this audio <laughs> cable on, on, on like Ableton or Adobe Audition is like, hey, I'm a regular audio cable. I'm an input. Believe me when I say that. But then, and yeah. It's, it's, uh, I want to get rid of it, but now I found a software that's good, but we're going to talk about that on bits and pieces. We are. I think, uh, we're ready to put a bow on this. Definitely. Hey, thanks for, uh, thanks for guest hosting. Oh, you're welcome. (laughs) You sound so thrilled. Like, yeah, no, take a bunch of time out of my life, jerk. So you can find the show notes for this episode, as always, at sunriserobot.net slash flipping table slash 143 for the... What did you, what did you say it is? It's a sum of primes. It's the sum of seven consecutive primes: eleven, thirteen, seventeen, nineteen, twenty-three. How far? How many was that? 
Uh, I think you went up through 31 last time. You get the idea. Okay, yeah. This, this is very cool. <laughs> Nerdy, but cool. Um, Mike and I, and also Matt this time, love feedback, and the easiest way to get to us quickly is on uh, the Twitters. So I'm at Lions in Beta, and Matt, you are? At Echolox, E-C-H-O-L-O-X. Uh, but if you want to have a little bit more robust of a conversation, definitely check out our subreddit. It's uh, reddit.com slash r slash flipping cables, where we have a new post every week for every new episode so that the discussion can stay, uh, let's say, big ironic air quotes, focused and on topic, because it, it typically doesn't. But that's part of what makes it fun. Um, so jump in there. And you're you're actually, I think you've been on Reddit longer than me or Mike. So you can jump in and participate maybe. for this episode. Yeah, yeah maybe. Um, if you want to help us out a little bit, you can subscribe. That helps other people find the show when they do search. Use your podcatcher of choice. But if you want to support us a little bit more directly, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash sunrise robot. And depending on the level you support us at, you can get your name shouted out at the end of uh, Flipping Cables or all the shows. And with that, I would like to give a special thanks to Matt Mariner, Sean Byrne, Benji Robinson, Touch Bar Cunningham, Carolyn Kraut, Cliff Lyons, Ido Abramovich, Justin Edwards, Joan Edwards, and Warren Myers. We love you all so much. We could not do this without you. You want to say see you next week? That's what Mike would say. See you next week. (laughs) See you next week. But I'm not going to be there next week.